you're in the top, you know, 5% or 1% or 10, whatever the number happens to be. So, you know, in some respects, we're all rich. But this guy, very rich. His wealth was great. And so were his possessions. You know the type, right? We all do. He had all, everything he wanted, he had the funds to provide it. He also had the one thing that money can't buy. Youth. He was a young man. And and you know, this, this really bothers us. Because a lot of us, you know, we see somebody who has wealth, maybe great wealth, and when you're a young man or a middle-aged man like me, you can tell yourself, well, someday when I'm old like them, I'll have wealth too, right? We do that. This guy had both. He's got wealth, great wealth. He's got youth. He's a young man. And the way it works when a young man who has wealth, by the way, he also was a good guy. He was a man of integrity, quite honestly. He wasn't somebody, you know, when you see a person that's got money, you know, you tell yourself, you know, they cheated the way to the top. You know, they did something crooked to get there. But not this guy, apparently. He had wealth, he had youth, and he was a good guy. And as I started to say a minute ago, when you've got somebody that goes that has those three things, when they got money, when they're young, and they're a man of integrity, what happens to them? They're put in charge. And he was in charge. He was a man with a plan. He was a wealthy man with a plan. He was a wealthy, good man with a plan. And he was in charge. And when you were around him, you knew it. All the men who met him wanted to be just like him. And all the women who met him wanted their husbands to be just like him. But he had a secret. He had a secret. Nobody knew. But he had a secret. Actually, there was one person that knew. His name is Jesus. And they they encountered one another. You can see it in your Bible. Turn with me, would you? To Matthew chapter 19. When Jesus bumps into the rich, young ruler who, from all outside appearances, had it all. And let's see how Jesus interacts with him. Matthew chapter 19. Now, this account of Jesus with the rich young ruler is in all three of the synoptic Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not in the Gospel of John, and that's not unheard of. John is writing much later than the other three Gospels. He gives a lot of stories and details that the other three Gospels didn't include. But this one's included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's some differences along the way, but the the basic story runs... About the same. Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to read verses 16 through the end of the account in verse number 22. And behold, a man came up to Jesus and he said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? 
Now, we don't see it here, but you're going to find out later he's rich. He's called a ruler. He's called young. And apparently he was a man of integrity. When he spoke of his integrity, Jesus didn't correct him. This guy had it all. But did he? Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask him about what is good? There is only one who is good. And then he said, If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now the man responded. He said, Which ones? I mean, it's a great question. 613 commands in the Old Testament. The majority of which are in the negative. Oh, they knew exactly what God expected them to not do and to do. Which of the commandments, he says, which one? And then Jesus responded with, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You should recognize those. Those are part of what? The Ten Commandments. Yes. Jesus responded with, which commandments? How about some of the Ten Commandments? And goes through them. And then he adds another quotation from the law, from Leviticus, and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A pretty good summary of what Jesus just said. The young man responds, I think, with thought. I think he considered what Jesus had to say. I mean, he called him a teacher. He called him a good teacher, so he must respect what he has to say. I think he thought about this. And he said, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I'm an honest guy. I don't don't bear false witness. I I honor my parents. I, I honor them. And what that would have meant is I'm still caring for them and their age. And I'm using my wealth to meet their needs. I love my neighbor as myself. What do I still lack? Why do I have this hole? Why am I still longing? Really, he's saying, Jesus, why am I here at your feet asking you this question? I've got it all. I have everything. I'm rich. I'm young. I'm a ruler. I'm a man of integrity. And here I am at your feet saying, how can I know that I have eternal life? His heart is hurting. Jesus knows that. And listen, the Lord knows how to minister to a bruised heart. If your heart is broken, contrite, bruised today, don't run from Jesus. Run to Him. He knows how to deal with it. And He loves you. So He wants to work in your life. Now this is what He said to this rich young ruler. He said, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then you come and you follow. Now, this was too much. When the young man heard this, he went away in the same way that he came? 
he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. He was a wealthy man. You know, in this we are going to use, we're going to use this account. This is not a parable. Jesus didn't make this story up to, to make a point. This really happened. Actually, this happens all the time. It happens in our lives. And we're going to use this as a springboard into a discussion of the Ten Commandments is where we're trying to get to today, but in a broader sense, into the commands of God and into understanding what God has for us in the Old Testament, in the law. I want us to try to understand this this today. And, And the reason why I wanted to use this is because this rich young man, this rich young ruler, he very well represents a way that many people approach God and His law. And so what I want to start with is this question for you today, and that is, what is your direction, your your attitude? Um, How do you approach God's law? What's your attitude about God's law? Now, you might have some questions like, well, what is God's law? And, and, and what should my attitude be? And, and a lot of, listen, I'm going to try to answer some of those things today. But we're, we're starting with, what is your attitude about God's law? Can I tell you, this young man who came to Jesus, I would say he came to the law of God, I'm calling it, like a shrewd accountant. He came like a shrewd accountant. Now look across the room. We have shrewd accountants in this room. He came to the law of God the same way that the shrewd accountant or the the shrewd bookkeeper approaches this and this. What do I have here? This is kind of old, but this is the Federal Tax Handbook 2012. Okay? Now, some of you, when I say we're going to talk through the Ten Commandments, you have the same attitude that you might have if I said we're going to study this, okay? You mean we're going to walk through the rules that we're supposed to live by? Oh, that sounds boring. And don't worry, we've got all the prophets that are going to help us understand it as well. We'll deal with that. Now, this is the deluxe edition of the federal 1040 form tax book with real answers Real fast. Now, wouldn't that be exciting? Okay? Just to work there. Look at that. It's got tables. It's got charts. You're going to love it. Now, here's the problem with approaching God's word, God's law, like a shrewd accountant. You know what your accountant's doing? I mean, come on. You know, you're, you're operating within the realm of the law. I understand that. But what's an accountant trying to do? They're trying to somehow find a loophole for their, the one who has, who has employed them, find a loophole for them to somehow save a dollar. That's what they're trying to do. I'm not holding it against you. You're, with the, you're up within the, the realm of the law, I trust. But that's what an accountant does. They have to know this. They've got to know these rules. And, and they've got to fine-tooth comb this. And all of a sudden, oh, there it is. Yes. There's the loophole we've been looking for. We'll hide your funds in a tax... I don't even know what words even use. I can't even make it up. But an accountant does. Some of us view God's law in that way. That's what this young man is doing. I want to benefit. 
And I want the benefit called eternal life. Now tell me. Give me, give me the loophole. Find the angle for me. And that's how we approach God's law. As if we have to find, you know, we have to find where that line is. We know that God has said not to commit murder. And so we look for that line to get as close to that as we can. Right? You might laugh at that, but you maybe don't do it with murder. But how about thou shalt not commit adultery? You get there? How close can I get to that line, Lowell? How close? Can I look at a woman to lust for her? Oh, I can't? Okay, I'll step back. Can I look at a woman to admire her? I mean, she's God's creation, right? And I'm just admiring what God has done. Yeah, right. That's a loophole that you're looking for. Some of us approach God's law in that way. Instead, you're in, you're in Matthew 19, right? Go up just a couple verses. Look what Jesus said right before this dude came up and asked him this question. Look at Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. Jesus is teaching. And then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people because they brought the children. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. The other gospel accounts record that Jesus said that you must be like them. Instead of looking at the law like a shrewd accountant, let's not look at the law like this. How can I find a loophole? How can I find a way around this? Let's approach God's law. Let's approach God's Word like a loving son. In some regards, I'm a loving son. I'm not a perfect son, that's for sure. My father's 75 today, his birthday. We're going to go see him today. We're going to tell him happy birthday. And let me tell you where I'll be. I'll be near him. I'll be near him. You know why? Because I want to hear what he says. I want to hear what my dad has to say. Because let's just be honest, when you're 75... You don't know if you've got another day or another year or what. You don't know. At that point, the end is near, I promise you. (laughs) Some are close. The end is getting closer. And a loving son wants to hear what his father has to say because he wants to know his dad. He wants to know him. He wants to know what he thinks. He wants to know what he experienced. He wants to know his character. I want to know where I come from, right? Some of you who have dads or who have lost dads know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's an amazing truth. I've seen it in my years of ministry. You can take a young person, a teenager or whatever, and their father can walk out of their life when they're one. And that 16, 17, or 35-year-old kid longs for their dad. Listen, God has shared, our Father now has shared truth with us. We call it the law. But it contains the character of God. 
Let's not approach like an accountant. Let's approach like a loving son and learn more about our heavenly Father who loves us. Let's pray and do just that. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank You for Your Word and I ask You to give us wisdom now as we open it up and and learn about You. Direct our thoughts, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you might notice that the worship notes are a little bit different than normal. That's because I have tried all week to make an outline. Okay, If you don't know, it's what pastors do. Okay, you know We make an outline and we work through it. I mean, it just couldn't come together. So here's my plan. I kind of got three points that I want to make today, okay, in a way. And what I'm doing, okay, so I got my phone up here. For my first point, I'm setting my timer for 10 minutes, all right? And then I'm going to just talk about it for 10 minutes. And when this timer goes off, I'm going to the second one, okay? So whatever we get in these 10 minutes is what I guess the Lord has in store for us, all right? And I'm not going to cover everything that I want to say today as we move into the Ten Commandments. Next week we'll deal with the first one. But I want to introduce us. I need to press go. Start. But I want to introduce us to the concept. Okay? This is kind of cheating. Alright? So, turn to Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible right now and the timer is on. Alright. Now this was an issue that people were wondering about. The same questions that you have. What is the law? Are the commandments for me still? Am I to follow them? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to talk really quick because i got a timer. Okay, Matthew 5, verse 17. And a lot of questions come to us about the law. Do I have to follow the Ten Commandments? Will they save me? Do, if I'm perfect and follow the Ten Commandments, do, will I be saved? Do they help me grow closer to God? What about all the festivals that I read about in the Old Testament? And what about the Passover? What about the Sabbath? Why don't we meet on Saturdays anymore? These are questions that, that when I mention the law, might come to your mind. Actually, a great question that you might ask is, what is the law? What is it? Well, let's see. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 17 is where I want to be. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The front end of it is actually, but here's Jesus sharing a sermon. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, He says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus says in verse number 17, He has not come to abolish the law, but He has come to fulfill it. Now let's talk about what that means. Whatever this law is, he has come to fulfill it. Now, fulfill here means, the best probably way you can think of it is filling up a cup is what he's doing. He has come to fill up the law and to give it its full, overwhelming understanding. Okay? 
Now, in reality, in this day, the teachers of the law, we call them the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, okay? They had taken the cup of the commandments and honestly, they had poked holes in the bottom. And Jesus is coming to fulfill them, to fill them up, and to help us understand what is meant by the law. What is meant by the law. Verse 18, it's important to see here that it is important, this law is, until heaven and earth pass away. Because you know what? It's going to. The heaven and earth are going to pass away. This, everything you know is not going to be here into eternity. God's going to remake it all. Okay? But it is, even when that happens, the law will not pass away. It will be accomplished. Now, that's a different word than fulfilled. Obviously, you can see that in the English. But you need to know that in the Greek, it's a different word as well. He's going to, fulfill, he's going to fill up this law. And this word accomplished means he's going to go ahead and complete what it promised to do. It will come to completion. The law of God is going to come to... Everything in the Old Testament is going to be fulfilled. It has either been fulfilled at Jesus' coming and death and resurrection, or it was fulfilled at the birth of the church, or it's going to be fulfilled in eternity when God restores His kingdom. But it's going to happen. This law. Now, verse 19, there's a warning. It says, Whoever... Now, this is talking about any person, any person who relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same is going to be called least. Least. This word relax is, is pretty interesting, okay? This word relax is, is very... You, when, you are, when you're with your child and they're walking through Walmart and you look down and their, their shoestrings are you know, just flowing behind them like a nice little stream, okay? You could say to them, Hey, little Johnny, your shoestrings are relaxed. That's his word. It means to untie. Unfasten is what it means. To break the bind. So we have a warning here about the law that Jesus gives. And it's this. Don't you dare untie this from what it means and what will be accomplished. That's the warning. Jesus didn't come to, to, to get rid of the law. Believe me, when the Pharisees heard what Jesus had to say, they were afraid that's what He was going to do. But He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm going to tell you what it means. I'm going to fill up the meaning and it will be accomplished and don't you dare untie it. So whatever this law is, it's pretty important. It's pretty important. Okay, let's ask that question. What do we mean by law? What do we mean? Now, it's a great question. Okay? And I think I have a slide, maybe. Do I have it? Yeah, okay. It's a great question. What does the law mean? Because it's used a lot in your Bible. Let me just fill you in on Jesus here. He tells us what he means. He says, the law and the prophets. This means, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's talking about the whole Old Testament. Okay? Twelve times Jesus uses that phrase. The law and the prophets. He's talking about all of the Old Testament. And he says, it's going to be fulfilled. Actually, 
I am fulfilling it. It's going to be accomplished, is what he says. But that's not all that the word love... This is where it gets confusing. It gets confusing. Let me me give you an illustration to to just tell you where we're headed, okay? Speaking of my father, there was a a stream we used to go fishing on. It's called the North Fork of the South Branch of the Potomac. I saw Jason Swinehart catch his limit of trout there one day. My dad and I used to go fishing there occasionally. You know, not a lot, occasionally. There's this one spot where the river is flowing along beside the road. I know you've heard me tell the story before because it means so much to me. And all of a sudden, the river disappears. It goes back behind the mountain. Okay? And you drive and you drive and drive for several miles. And all of a sudden, the Potomac comes right back to the road. And my dad and I always said, and I think we might have said it, we should hike back in there and fish it. Because you know there's fish back there. Nobody else does that. Now, we never did. And actually, I was there with Jason Swinehart a year ago or so, and I saw where somebody has now commercialized. Somebody's put a road up behind there, okay? And so you know, our dream is gone. But here's why I share that illustration with you. You see, I throw what the law is up here, and to us, this seems like the river behind the mountain, Right? It's like, you know, there might be something there for me, but, but I don't know what's back there. And I'm a little bit of afraid because I know that there's danger. There's da- there is real danger. Much of the New Testament is written about the danger of the law and how believers have mistakenly responded to the law. There is danger. Back behind that mountain, there's lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Okay? We've got to be wise. We'll do that. At times, like in, in Luke chapter 24, I already showed you, this is Matthew 5, 17, Jesus is talking about the whole Testament. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, here the law is used for just the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of your Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Called the law, or the Torah. It also can be a word used for what's called the Mosaic law. This is Exodus chapters 19 through 24. This is a promise. This is actually not even a promise. This is a relationship that God had with Israel. And it worked like this. This was the relationship God had with Israel. You obey me and I will bless you. You do what I tell you to do and I will bless you. Now a lot of us would like to have that relationship right now. So God, if I obey you, will you let me catch my limited trout? Listen, that was a unique relationship that God had with Israel. And I believe it was to show us the lie of the prosperity gospel. That's the prosperity gospel. Obey God and He'll give you a great parking place and you'll always make green lights and you'll have your best life now. That's been tried. That's already been tried. Israel gave it a good heart. Oh man, there's the timer. Um, Israel gave it a nice shot. And where did it go? It ended in polytheism. It ended in legalism. It ended in child sacrifice. It ended in rampant sexual sin. That's one use of the word law. It's also used at times for just the Ten Commandments. 
You know them, right? Can you tell me what they are? Think in your head. Oh, I need to re- I, I've moved on. Here, start. Okay. Can you walk through the Ten Commandments? I see you back there. <laughs> yeah, the, the surveys find that, that people can't. They can't list it. You'll have people who say, hey, how do you go to heaven? They say, you keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, really? Can you tell me what they are? A vast majority of people can't when they ask that question. Well, the Ten Commandments, they drive us to some questions. I'm going to put these up on the screen, okay? This issue of the law drives us to some questions like this. Can the law save me? No matter which one of those... I'm sorry, there you go. No matter which one of those definitions you give, can it save me? I was, I was the rich young ruler, was it not? I've kept them all. Can I go to heaven? And the answer from the New Testament and the Old is no. No. You can live those Ten Commandments and you are still marked with sin. And we cannot be with God. Let me show you this in your Bible. Go to Romans chapter 7. Go to Romans chapter 7. I want, I want you to see this. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 2. Go to Romans 2 with me. I'm, I'm wrong again. Galatians 2. Man, this timer is making me nervous. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians was written, much of it, in response to these questions. Can the law save me? Can the law sanctify me? Or do I abrogate it? I'll tell you what that word means in just a minute. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 21 with me. Paul here writing this to a group of people who are being tempted back to the law. He says in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He died for us. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, you cannot be good enough. You know this, but let, but let it hit you so you worship with truth. We could never be good enough. We could never follow the Ten Commandments enough at all to earn our salvation. It doesn't work. God is too holy and too pure for that. He doesn't need a polished human. That's not, a polished human is not enough to come to Him. We have to come as His sons and daughters. And that requires new birth. It's, it's here in Galatians again, chapter 3, verse 21. You can remember it this way. 2 21s, 2 and 3. Chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteous would indeed be by the law. The law doesn't do it. So next question. Now you turn to Romans 7. So can it sanctify us? Now what does that mean? The word sanctify, short for sanctification, Also, the same Greek word translated holy at times, or saint. This is a word that's packed full of meaning. Sanctify is a verb form of saint. You are a saint because you have been sanctified. 
And because you're being made into the image of Christ, God is sanctifying you. You see this word, what it means? It means that God is making us holy. And so some people think, if I could just memorize the Ten Commandments or some other part of the law, maybe I'll put them up on my wall, and every morning I'll get up and I'll read them really, really hard. And then I'll be able to follow them. Well, Romans 7 has something to say about that. Romans 7, let's look at verse 4 to 6. Verses 1 to 3 are very good, but I'm out of time. They talk about how death is required for a law to change. It says you're married to somebody as long as they're alive, but when they die, you go to something, you can go to somebody else and marry them. So now he's, Paul is using that for an illustration for the law that we have died with Christ. So therefore, we have died to the law. So verse 4 of chapter 7, Likewise, my brothers, now listen to this, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. In order that we may bear fruit for God, for while we were living in the flesh, now listen to what the law does, our sinful passions aroused by the law. In other places, that word has sexual connotations. It's a strong desire. And, and he goes on to explain it. They were, it was at work of us in our body, in our members, to bear fruit for death. I mean, jump down to verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, it would have not known sin. Now look what happens. For I would not know what it would... I'm sorry. For I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You all see this? Little Johnny, don't touch the wood stove. So what's he do? (laughs) Burns his hands. Give a law? We, We rebel against it. We hate law in our flesh. We hate it. You see the police officer, part of you just doesn't like him. We need to to support our authorities. But your flesh says, he's trying to pull me over. See, you don't just hate the speed limit. You hate the lawmaker. Who came up with 55 here? What an idiot, right? We don't just hate law. We, our flesh now, hates law givers. Don't tell me not to sit there. You're not the boss of me. Right? See, law won't sanctify us. It won't sanctify us. Verse 7, though. What shall we sin? Is, what shall we say? Is the law sin? Paul asks the question, is there, is there no value of the law? Look at verse number 12. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. You see, where we have a dilemma. The question is, do we abrogate it? That mean, what abrogate means is to abolish. It's what theologians sometimes say that people wrongly think about the law. They're going to abrogate it. That means to, abol- to annul it. Like a marriage is annulled. Do we just say, this doesn't matter to us? It, you know, all, we're New Testament believers. We just study from Matthew on. You're missing it. You're missing it. 
Now, some of you know some of the questions this brings up. I gave you a quote on your worship notes. I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Okay, let's, let's, let's peel off another layer, okay? Let's peel off another layer. Will you go with me? Will you go a little further behind the mountain? Okay? I'll warn you the snakes, all right? But, but come with me, all right? So in the law, go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. In the law, we have different types of law. We have different types of law. Deuteronomy chapter 4, look at verse 13 with me. 13 and 14. Deuteronomy 4, 13 and 14. I don't have it on the screen, but you'll have to listen carefully. Look what it says. 13 and 14. Let's go back and read verse 11 and 12 because they're really cool. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. Okay, this is Moses talking to the children of Israel, the Jewish people, right before they go in and destroy Jericho. Right before John started last week. Okay, with Joshua. This is right before that. This is Deuteronomy. Guess what Deuteronomy means? This is pretty cool. What's a duo? You dynamic duo? That's what? Two. Okay. This is the second law. This is Moses standing before the children of Israel and he's repeating the law. They, they now, you think you stood for a while and singing songs? They stood and Moses read it all to them. And at the end he said, do you commit to this agreement? And they said, we do indeed. Yes, sir, we, we agree. We want this. Second law, Deuteronomy. Now look how Moses, well, the Lord explains it through Moses. Verse 13, I'll get there. And he declared to you his covenant. He here is God. He declared to you his covenant, which he commands you to perform. That is, here comes three types of law, of the Mosaic law, okay? And they are, one, the Ten Commandments. It's part of the law. The Ten Commandments, okay? And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Charleston Heston, he carried them onto the screen for us, right? We know that. And the Lord commanded me, now here it's the Lord commanding Moses, at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going to, going over to possess. Now what, is, what do we have here? Well, as I have on your screen, I believe, okay, we've got another little Easter egg, um, go forward and forward, I believe, two times, um, there we go. What we have here is we have the moral law, that's the Ten Commandments. And there are other moral laws given in the Old Testament. There are moral laws given. Yes, thou shalt not murder, but there are other moral laws given as well as far as like caring for the weak and the, the infirm and, and, and caring for those who are in need. There are moral laws given. But there are also other laws that are given. There are civil laws Civil laws are how are people going to interact with one another? How are you going to interact? How are you going to interact with other people? How is society? Now listen, this is so important. How is society going to operate when God is the king? When God is king, how is society going to operate? Okay? So when God is king, what this will mean is when you build a house, you'll put a tower up beside of it. You read that, you're like. Why is this in the Bible? And when God is king over the land, you won't move the boundary markers. Huh? 
And with God as king, you won't wear clothing of mixed types. What is going on here? And when God is king, this one is far out, you will not cook a mother's, a goat's baby in its own milk. What? What is going on here? This is the civil law that God says, I will be your king. And this is how you will interact with one another. These are the rules. We're in this agreement, you and I. We've got this covenant with one another. This is how you will operate one with another. Okay? We'll have a city. We'll call it a city refuge. And if you accidentally kill somebody, maybe you're out working in the farm, you know, and you sing your slide or whatever. I don't know. I lost my word. But you hurt somebody and they die. Well, the law says if you kill somebody, you should, you should be killed. That's what should happen. So we'll have a city of refuge. If you accidentally kill somebody, you can go there and you can stay safe there. See, these are rules that God gave His people to live in His covenant there in the land where He's the king. And then you have the ceremonial laws. Okay, this is what this is. This is, this is how the Passover will work. This is how the Feast of Booths will work. This is how the Day of Atonement will work. This is how the Feast of Trumpets will work. This is how the Sabbath will work. All of these ceremonies, every single one of them, are all pointing to one truth. God is going to send one to deal with your sin. Now, this is why it is that people on the, in the media all the time, this is what they say. Oh, sure. Leviticus says that it's sin for one man to lie with another one. Well, it also says that you can't wear clothing of two different types. Now, first of all, that is faulty logic. That doesn't undo the truth that God said it is a sin for two men to lie with one another. That doesn't undo that truth. But people are intimidated by that. Believers are intimidated by that because we don't know how to answer it. We don't know how to answer the fact that the law gives things that seem very strange and unique. Actually, Psalm 145 calls them unique. I gave you a unique, you are a unique nation. I gave you unique ordinances that you will live by. And they seem very odd to us. But what you have to understand is this. That is an arrangement between God and the nation of Israel. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to fill up the law. I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to fill up the ceremony. You're celebrating that the Messiah is going to come? And you take two goats on the Day of Atonement? And you slit the throat of one? And you stand above the other and you confess the sins of the nation? And then you send it out in the field and then you try to catch that thing? Not easy to do, is it? This is is described in Leviticus 16. Jesus said that He has come and He has died for sin and to sin. He took the death of sin and He's ridding it from us. Running around in the desert like a goat on the loose. Can't catch it. Now, let me show you all so much truth. Oh, timer. Um, I want you to see that these things... Some of them have been fulfilled already. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill, to fill up. Some of them have already been fulfilled. 
Let me just briefly show you this. I'm out of time. Go in your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I've got to get to my next point, remember? Galatians chapter 3. I've got more verses for you. They're on your notes somewhere. You can look at them. We've already been here once. Let's look at a couple more verses to understand this truth about the law. Remember, law, you have to understand from context what it's saying. Because it can mean many different things. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 23 and following. Let's read it. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Here's what this word guardian means. Listen to this and listen to the meaning. It's so beautiful what God has done. Listen to what God has done. A guardian, your translation may say schoolmaster, okay? What this word guardian means, it's not a, it's not a guy with a, with a shield and a weapon. That's not what it is at all. Think of it more as a person walking along who knows the path and they're guarding you from a mistake. They're taking you in the direction that you're supposed to go. That's what this word guardian means. It it means one who's leading somebody in the direction that they're supposed to go. So what Paul is saying here is that the law, when you read about the Day of Atonement, when you read about the Passover, when you read about the Feast of Tabernacles and booze and all these things, what they're doing is they're leading us to what Jesus would do. What Jesus would do. And now that it's done, we don't need these things that lead us there. We now celebrate what Jesus has already done. We celebrate what Jesus has done at the cross when He died for our sins and rose victorious. We celebrate those now through communion and through baptism. That's us celebrating what God has done. Those Old Testament ceremonial laws were celebrating what He was going to do. It would be like this. I wanted to give you an illustration. It would be like me with my 15-year-old child putting out word, Hey, everybody, I want you to come to my house. We're having a baby shower. For Daniel. Sorry, son, didn't warn you of that, but we are. And you'd be like, huh? I saw that kid. He's like six foot tall. Baby shower? He was born like 16 years ago. See, that's what that ceremonial law is. Why would I have a baby shower? I'll celebrate his birth. I'll celebrate his life. I'll celebrate what I see him doing today. I'm not going to celebrate that there was a time a long time ago where we're looking for him to maybe come in soon and we want to get our friends together about that. No. I celebrate who he is. That's what we do. Now, the moral law, though. And now this is my last ten minutes, but we lost that a while ago. Let's do this. Since we're talking about the Ten Commandments, how about we turn there? Okay? Go in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. I'm not going to go for 10 more minutes. You're okay. Um, Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are given to us twice. Okay? 
Now, once is in Exodus. And let's see if you can guess. Where do you think they're given a second time? In Deuteronomy, that's exactly right. Okay, It's also given in Deuteronomy. But in Exodus chapter 20, here is the passage where God reveals the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill these, not to abrogate, not to eliminate, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus has filled these up with meaning, with Truth is explained to under, us understand something that's very important. And the thing that these things reveal to us is they reveal the character of our God. We're going to read it in just a second. But we're not going to read it like this. You know, we know that Jesus said in Matthew 5, you know, it's, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. See, Jesus is explaining some truth. We're not going to come here and say, okay, so I can't hate. Can I really, really dislike? How about that? Can I think really, really ugly thoughts about? See, that's, that's a shrewd accountant. Let's read this like a loving son or like a loving daughter, and know this is God saying, this is my character. This is who I am. And just as important, hear this, this is what I'm going to do in you. This is what I'm going to do in you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. As God is holy, you be holy. As God's character is revealed, you also be holy. There's a quote from Leviticus. You shall be holy, for I am holy. We will see, as we study this together over the next 13 weeks, we will see the character of our God. And we will see what that God is going to do in us and through us. He's going to make us like Him. And we see what Him is like here. Verse number one, and God spoke all these words and he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of Israel. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, there we see a glimpse into our father. Picture you sitting there with a godly dad tells you a story about when he was a kid. And in that, you learn who he is. You learn what he's like. You shall have no other gods before me. We learn what God is like. In some ways, this is scary. But in many ways, it's wonderful. And this shows us, God will not tolerate another God. He is jealous. We'll talk about this next week. He's not one to be toyed with. He is God and any others will not do and he will deal with them. We see this in his word. But he offers to be our God. 
He comes along with us and never leaves us. He never forsakes us. It goes on. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me, keep my commandments. God desires a relationship with us, and that relationship has, it has standards. It has expectations. He has a right way to worship, a right way to approach, and He demands we come that way. We won't take the time to read the rest of them. We can't. Not now. But I want to say this. You see, God's Ten Commandments, you can really encapsulate them in two. Two. One's vertical, one's horizontal. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. When asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? He said the greatest is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said this. Now take into account everything we've said. Perfect! All the law and the prophets, all the law and the prophets, they hang on these two. Love God. Love others. God is revealing His character to us. Do you know Him? Do you hunger for Him? Is His law the delight of your heart? Do you find His character there? Do you trust Him enough to pursue Him in that way? Will you worship Him? Will you worship Him with us today? I'm going to have Pastor Billy come up here and lead us in another song. But I want to pray together first as they come forward. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. You came to fulfill it. You have fulfilled it. It's being accomplished, Lord. We thank you for that. Thank you that we know from Hebrews that the blood of bulls and goats and sheep doesn't take away sin. Covered over for a while, but it was all anticipating you when you would come to earth and die for sinners like me. Die in our place, Lord. And now, Lord, You've called us to life. You've called us to Your life. You've called us to eternal life, which is knowing the Father and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Help us to find You in Your Word this week as we pursue You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.